Section 3 of Irish Wit and Humor. The author is anonymous. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James Carson. John Philpot Curran. Part 1. His Birth. John Philpot Curran was born at Newmarket, a small village in the county of Cork, on the 24th of July, 1750. His father, James Curran, was seneschal of the manor, and possessed of a very moderate income. His mother was a very extraordinary woman. Eloquent and witty, she was the delight of her neighbors, and their chronicle and arbitress. Her stories were of the olden time, and made their way to the hearts of the people, who delighted in her wit, and the truly national humor of her character. Little Curran used to hang with ecstasy upon his mother's accents, used to repeat her tales and her jests, and caught up her enthusiasm. After her death he erected a monument over her remains, upon which the following memorial was inscribed. Here lieth all that was mortal of Martha Curran, a woman of many virtues, few foibles, great talents, and no vice. This tablet was inscribed in her memory by a son who loved her, and whom she loved. Curran as Punch's Man Curran's first effort in public commenced when a boy in the droll character of Mr. Punch's Man. It occurred in this way. One of the puppet shows, known as Punch and Judy, arrived at Newmarket, to the great gratification of the neighborhood. Young Curran was an attentive listener at every exhibition of the show. At length Mr. Punch's man fell ill, and immediately ruined, threatened the establishment. Curran, who had devoured all the man's eloquence, offered himself to the manager as Mr. Punch's man. His services were gladly accepted, and his success so complete that crowds attended every performance, and Mr. Punch's new man became the theme of universal panegyric. Curran at a Debating Society Curran's account of his introduction and debut at a debating society is the identical first appearance of hundreds. Upon the first of our assembling, he says, I attended my foolish heart throbbing with the anticipated honor of being styled the learned member that opened the debate or the very eloquent gentleman who has just sat down all day the coming scene had been flitting before my fancy and cajoling it my ear already caught the glorious melody of hear him hear him already i was practicing how to steal a sidelong glance at the tears of generous approbation bubbling in the eyes of my little auditory, never suspecting, alas, that a modern eye may have so little affinity with moisture that the finest gunpowder may be dried upon it. I stood up, my mind was stored with about a folio volume of matter, but I wanted a preface and for want of a preface the volume was never published i stood up trembling through every fibre but remembering that in this 
i was but imitating tully i took courage and had actually proceeded almost as far as mr chairman when to my astonishment and terror i perceived that every eye was riveted upon me there were only six or seven present and the little room could not have contained as many more yet was it to my panic-stricken imagination as if i were the central object in nature and assembled millions were gazing upon me in breathless expectation i became dismayed and dumb my friends cried hear him but there was nothing to hear my lips indeed went through the pantomime of articulation but i was like the unfortunate fiddler at the fair who coming to strike up the solo that was to ravish every ear discovered that an enemy had maliciously soaped his bow or rather like poor punch as i once saw him grimacing a soliloquy of which his prompter had most indiscreetly neglected to administer the words such was the debut of stuttering jack curran or orator mum as he was waggishly styled but not many months elapsed ere the sun of his eloquence burst forth in dazzling splendour curran and the banker a limerick banker remarkable for his sagacity had an iron leg his leg said curran is the softest part about him his duel with st ledger curran was employed at cork to prosecute a british officer of the name of st ledger for an assault upon a catholic clergyman st ledger was suspected by curran to be a creature of lord Donorail, and to have acted upon the influence of his lordship's religious prejudice curran rated him soundly on this and with such effect that st ledger sent him a challenge the next day they met but as curran did not return his fire the affair ended it was not necessary said curran for me to fire at him for he died in three weeks after the duel of the report of his own pistol the monks of the screw this was the name of a club that met on every saturday during term in a house in kevin street and had for its members curran grattan flood father o'leary lord charlemont judge day judge metchke judge chamberlain lord avonmore bows daly george ogle and mr keller curran being grand prior of the order composed the charter song as follows when st patrick our order created and called us the monks of the screw good rules he revealed to our abbot to guide us in what we should do but first he replenished his fountain with liquor the best in the sky and he swore by the word of his saintship that fountain should never run dry my children be chaste till you're tempted while sober be wise and discreet and humble your bodies with fasting whene'er you've got nothing to eat 
then be not a glass in the convent except on a festival found and this rule to enforce i ordain it a festival all the year round lord avonmore curran was often annoyed when pleading before lord avonmore owing to his lordship's habit of being influenced by first impressions he and curran were to dine together at the house of a friend and the opportunity was seized by curran to cure his lordship's habit of anticipating why mr curran you have kept us a full hour waiting dinner for you grumbled our lord avonmore oh my dear lord i regret it much you must know it seldom happens but i've just been witness to a most melancholy occurrence my god you seem terribly moved by it take a glass of wine what was it what was it i will tell you my lord the moment i can collect myself i had been detained at court in the court of chancery your lordship knows the chancellor sits late i do i do but go on well my lord i was hurrying here as fast as ever i could i did not even change my dress i hope i shall be excused for coming in my boots po po never mind your boots the point come at once to the point of the story oh i will my good lord in a moment i walked here i would not even wait to get the carriage ready it would have taken time you know now there is a market exactly in the road by which i had to pass your lordship may perhaps recollect the market do you to be sure i do go on curran go on with the story i am very glad your lordship remembers the market for i totally forget the name of it the name the name what the devil signifies the name of it sir it's the castle market your lordship is perfectly right it is called the castle market well i was passing through that very identical castle market when i observed a butcher preparing to kill a calf he had a huge knife in his hand it was as sharp as a razor the calf was standing beside him he drew the knife to plunge it into the animal just as he was in the act of doing so a little boy about four years old his only son the loveliest little baby i ever saw ran suddenly across his path and he killed oh my god he killed the child the child the child vociferated lord avonmore no my lord the calf continued curran very coolly he killed the calf but your lordship is in the habit of anticipating his first client when curran was called to the bar he was without friends without connections without fortune conscious of talents far above the mob by which he was elbowed and cursed with sensibility which rendered him painfully alive to the mortifications he was fated to experience those who have risen to professional eminence and recollect the impediments of such a commencement the neglect abroad the poverty perhaps at home the frowns of rivalry the fears of friendship the sneer at the first essay the prophecy that it will be the last discouragement as to the present 
forebodings as to the future some who are established endeavouring to crush the chance of competition and some who have failed anxious for the wretched consolation of companionship those who recollect the comforts of such an apprenticeship may duly appreciate poor curran's situation after toiling for a very inadequate recompense at the sessions of cork and wearing as he said himself his teeth almost to their stumps he proceeded to the metropolis taking for his wife and young children a miserable lodging on hog hill term after term without either profit or professional reputation he paced the hall of the four courts yet even thus he was not altogether undistinguished if his pocket was not heavy his heart was light he was young and ardent buoyed up not less by the consciousness of what he felt within than by the encouraging comparison with those who were successful around him and his station among the crowd of idlers whom he amused with his wit or amused by his eloquence many even who had emerged from that crowd did not disdain occasionally to glean from his conversation the rich and varied treasures which he did not fail to squander with the most unsparing prodigality and some there were who observed the brightness of the infant luminary struggling through the obscurity that clouded its commencement among those who had the discrimination to appreciate and the heart to feel for him luckily for curran was mr arthur wolfe afterwards the unfortunate but respected lord kilwarden the first fee of any consequence that he received was through his recommendation and his recital of the incident cannot be without its interest to the young professional aspirant whom a temporary neglect may have sunk into dejection i then lived said he upon hog hill my wife and children were the chief furniture of my apartments and as to my rent it stood much the same chance of its liquidation with the national debt mrs curran however was a barrister's lady and what was wanting in wealth she was well determined should be supplied by dignity the landlady on the other hand had no idea of any other gradation except that of pounds shillings and pence i walked out one morning in order to avoid the perpetual altercations on the subject with my mind you may imagine in no very enviable temperament i fell into gloom to which from my infancy i had been occasionally subject i had a family for whom i had no dinner and a landlady for whom i had no rent i had gone abroad in despondence i returned home almost in desperation when i opened the door of my study where lavater alone could have found a library the first object that presented itself was an immense folio of a brief twenty golden guineas wrapped up beside it and the name of old bob lyons marked on the back of it i paid my landlady bought a good dinner gave bob lyons a share of it and that dinner was the date of my prosperity
curran and the informer the following is an extract from curran's speech delivered before a committee of the house of lords against the bill of attainder on lord edward's property i have been asked said he by the committee whether i have any defensive evidence i am confounded by such a question where is there a possibility of obtaining defensive evidence where am i to seek it i have often of late gone to the dungeon of the captive but never have i gone to the grave of the dead to receive instructions for his defence nor in truth have i ever before been at the trial of a dead man i offer therefore no evidence upon this inquiry against the perilous example of which i do protest on behalf of the public and against the cruelty and inhumanity and injustice of which i do protest in the name of the dead father whose memory is sought to be dishonoured and of his infant orphans whose bread is sought to be taken away some observations and but a few upon the evidence of the informer i will make i do believe all he has admitted respecting himself i do verily believe him in that instance even though i heard him assert it upon his oath by his own confession an informer and a bribed informer a man whom respectable witnesses had sworn in a court of justice upon their oaths not to be credible on his oath a man upon whose single testimony no jury ever did or ever ought to pronounce a verdict of guilty a kind of man to whom the law resorts with abhorrence and from necessity in order to set the criminal against the crime but who is made use of for the same reason that the most obnoxious poisons are resorted to in medicine if such be the man look for a moment at his story he confines himself to mere conversation only with a dead man he ventures not to introduce any third person living or even dead he ventures to state no act whatever done he wishes indeed to asperse the conduct of lady edward fitzgerald but he well knew that even were she in this country she could not be called as a witness to contradict him see therefore if there be any one assertion to which credit can be given except this that he was sworn and forsworn that he is a traitor that he has received five hundred guineas to be an informer and that his general reputation is to be utterly unworthy of credit he concludes thus every act of this sort ought to have a practical morality flowing from its principle if loyalty and justice require that those children should be deprived of bread must it not be a violation of that principle to give them food or shelter must not every loyal and just man wish to see them in the words of the famous golden bull always poor and necessitous and for ever accompanied by the infamy of the father languishing in continued indigence and finding their punishment in living and their relief in dying if the widowed mother should carry the orphan heir of her unfortunate husband to the gate of any man who himself touched 
with the sad vicissitude of human affairs might feel a compassionate reverence for the noble blood that flowed in his veins nobler than the royalty that first ennobled it that like a rich stream rose till it ran and hid its fountain if remembering the many noble qualities of his unfortunate father his heart melted over the calamities of the child if his heart swelled if his eyes overflowed if his too precipitate hand was stretched forth by his pity or his gratitude to the excommunicated sufferers how could he justify the rebel tear or the traitorous humanity one word more and i have done i once more earnestly and solemnly conjure you to reflect that the fact i mean the fact of guilt or innocence which must be the foundation of this bill is now after the death of this party capable of being tried consistent with the liberty of a free people or the unalterable rules of eternal justice and that as to the forfeiture and the ignominy which it enacts that only can be punishment which lights upon guilt and that can be only vengeance which breaks upon innocence curran was one day setting his watch at the post-office which was then opposite the late parliament house when a noble member of the house of lords said to him curran what do they mean to do with that useless building for my part i am sure i hate even the sight of it i do not wonder at it my lord replied curran contemptuously i never yet heard of a murderer who was not afraid of a ghost lord clare one day when it was known that curran had to make an elaborate argument in chancery lord clare brought a large newfoundland dog upon the bench with him and during the progress of the argument he lent his ear much more to the dog than to the barrister this was observed at length by the entire profession in time the chancellor lost all regard for decency he turned himself quite aside in the most material part of the case and began in full court to fondle the animal curran stopped at once go on go on mr curran said lord clare oh i beg a thousand pardons my lord i really took it for granted that your lordship was employed in consultation curran's eloquence in a debate on attachments in the irish house of commons in seventeen eighty five mr curran rose to speak against them and perceiving mr fitzgibbon the attorney-general afterwards lord clare had fallen asleep on his seat he thus commenced i hope i may say a few words on this great subject without disturbing the sleep of any right honourable member and yet perhaps i ought rather to envy than blame the tranquillity of the right honourable gentleman i do not feel myself so happily tempered as to be lulled to repose by the storms that shake the land if they invited any to rest that rest ought not to be lavished on the guilty spirit 
although mr curran appears here to have commenced hostilities it should be mentioned that he was apprised of mr fitzgibbon's having given out in the ministerial circles that he would take an opportunity during the debate in which he knew that mr curran would take part of putting down the young patriot the duchess of rutland and all the ladies of the castle were present in the gallery to witness what mr curran called in the course of the debate this exhibition by command when mr curran sat down mr fitzgibbon provoked by the expressions he had used and by the general tenor of his observation replied with much personality and among other things denominated mr curran a puny babbler mr c retorted by the following description of his opponent i am not a man whose respect in person and character depends upon the importance of his office i am not a young man who thrusts himself into the foreground of a picture which ought to be occupied by a better figure i am not one who replies with invective when sinking under the weight of argument i am not a man who denies the necessity of parliamentary reform at the time that he approves of its expediency by reviling his own constituents the parish clerk the sexton and the grave-digger and if there be any man who can apply what i am not to himself i leave him to think of it in the committee and contemplate upon it when he goes home the result of this night's debate was a duel between mr curran and mr fitzgibbon after exchanging shots they separated but confirmed in their feeling of mutual aversion at the assizes at cork curran had once just entered upon his case and stated the facts to the jury he then with his usual impressiveness and pathos appealed to their feelings and was concluding the whole with this sentence thus gentlemen i trust i have made the innocence of that persecuted man as clear to you as at that instant the sun which had hitherto been overclouded shot its rays into the courthouse as clear to you continued he as yonder sunbeam which now burst in among us and supplies me with its splendid illustration scene between fitzgibbon and curran in the irish parliament mr fitzgibbon afterwards lord clare rose and said the politically insane gentleman has asserted much but he only emitted some effusions of the witticisms of fancy his declamation indeed was better calculated for the stage of saddler's wells than the floor of the house of commons a mountbank with but one half of the honourable gentleman's talent for rant would undoubtedly make his fortune however i am somewhat surprised he should entertain such a particular asperity against me as i never did him a favour but perhaps the honourable gentleman imagines he may talk himself into consequence if so i should be sorry to obstruct his promotion he is heartily welcome to attack me of one thing only i will assure him 
that i hold him in so small a degree of estimation either as a man or as a lawyer that i shall never hereafter deign to make him any answer mr curran the honourable gentleman says i have poured forth some witticisms of fancy that is a charge i shall never be able to retort upon him he says i am insane for my part were i the man who when all debate had subsided who when the bill was given up had risen to make an inflammatory speech against my country i should be obliged to any friend who would excuse my conduct by attributing it to insanity were i the man who could commit a murder on the reputation of my country i should thank the friend who would excuse my conduct by attributing it to insanity were i a man possessed of so much arrogance as to set up my own little head against the opinions of the nation i should thank the friend who would say heed him not he is insane nay if i were such a man i would thank the friend who had sent me to bedlam if i knew one man who was easily roused and easily appeased i would not give his character as that of the whole nation the right honourable gentleman says he never came here with written speeches i never suspected him of it and i believe there is not a gentleman in the house who having heard what has fallen from him would ever suspect him of writing speeches but i will not pursue him further i will not enter into a conflict in which victory can gain no honour his defence of archibald hamilton rowan the following extracts commencing with a description of mr rowan will be found interesting gentlemen let me suggest another observation or two if still you have any doubt as to the guilt or the innocence of the defendant give me leave to suggest to you what circumstances you ought to consider in order to found your verdict you should consider the character of the person accused and in this your task is easy i will venture to say there is not a man in this nation more known than the gentleman who is the subject of this persecution not only by the part he has taken in public concerns and which he has taken in common with many but still more so by that extraordinary sympathy for human affliction which i am sorry to think he shares with so small a number there is not a day that you hear the cries of your starving manufacturers in your streets that you do not also see the advocate of their sufferings that you do not see his honest and manly figure with uncovered head soliciting for their relief searching the frozen heart of charity for every string that can be touched by compassion and urging the force of every argument and every motive save that which his modesty suppresses the authority of his own generous example or if you see him not there you may trace his steps to the abode of disease and famine and despair the messenger of heaven bearing with him food and medicine and consolation 
are these the materials of which we suppose anarchy and public rapine to be formed is this the man on whom to fasten the abominable charge of goading on a frantic populace to mutiny and bloodshed is this the man likely to apostatize from every principle that can bind him to the state his birth his property his education his character and his children let me tell you gentlemen of the jury if you agree with his prosecutors in thinking there ought to be a sacrifice of such a man on such an occasion and upon the credit of such evidence you are to convict him never did you never can you give a sentence consigning any man to public punishment with less danger to his person or to his fame for where could the hireling be found to fling contumely or ingratitude at his head whose private distress he had not laboured to alleviate or whose public condition he had not laboured to improve speaking of the liberty of the press he says what then remains the liberty of the press only that sacred palladium which no influence no power no government which nothing but the folly or the depravity or the folly or the corruption of a jury ever can destroy and what calamities are the people saved from by having public communication kept open to them i will tell you gentlemen what they are saved from i will tell you also to what both are exposed by shutting up that communication in one case sedition speaks aloud and walks abroad the demagogue goes forth the public eye is upon him he frets his busy hour upon the stage but soon either weariness or bribe or punishment or disappointment bears him down or drives him off and he appears no more in the other case how does the work of sedition go forward night after night the muffled rebel steals forth in the dark and casts another brand upon the pile to which when the hour of fatal maturity shall arrive he will apply the flame if you doubt of the horrid consequences of suppressing the effusion of even individual discontent look to those enslaved countries where the protection of despotism is supposed to be secured by such restraints even the person of the despot there is never in safety neither the fears of the despot nor the machinations of the slave have any slumber the one anticipating the moment of peril the other watching the opportunity of aggression the fatal crisis is equally a surprise upon both the decisive instant is precipitated without warning by folly on the one side or by frenzy on the other and there is no notice of the treason till the traitor acts in those unfortunate countries one cannot read it without horror there are officers whose province it is to have the water which is to be drank by their rulers sealed up in bottles lest some wretched miscreant should throw poison into the draught but gentlemen if you wish for a nearer and a more interesting example you have it in the history of your own revolution 
you have it in that memorable period when the monarch found a servile acquiescence in the ministers of his folly when the liberty of the press was trodden underfoot when venal sheriffs returned packed juries to carry into effect those fatal conspiracies of the few against the many when the devoted benches of public justice were filled by some of those foundlings of fortune who overwhelmed in the torrent of corruption at an early period lay at the bottom like drowned bodies while sanity remained in them becoming buoyant by putrefaction they rose as they rotted and floated to the surface of the polluted stream where they were drifted along the objects of terror and contagion and abomination in that awful moment of a nation's travail of the last gasp of tyranny and the first breath of freedom how pregnant is the example the press extinguished the people enslaved and the prince undone as the advocate of society therefore of peace of domestic liberty and the lasting union of the two countries i conjure you to guard the liberty of the press that great sentinel of the state that grand detector of public imposture guard it because when it sinks there sink with it in one common grave the liberty of the subject and the security of the crown gentlemen i am glad that this question has not been brought forward earlier i rejoice for the sake of the court the jury and of the public repose that this question has not been brought forward till now in great britain analogous circumstances have taken place at the commencement of that unfortunate war which has deluged europe with blood the spirit of the english people was tremblingly alive to the terror of french principles at that moment of general paroxysm to accuse was to convict the danger loomed larger to the public eye from the misty region through which it was surveyed we measured inaccessible heights by the shadows they project when the lowness and the distance of the light form the length of the shade there is a sort of aspiring and adventurous credulity which disdains assenting to obvious truths and delights in catching at the improbabilities of a case as its best ground of faith to what other cause gentlemen can you ascribe that in the wise the reflecting and the philosophic nation of great britain a printer has been gravely found guilty of libel for publishing those resolutions to which the present minister of that kingdom had already subscribed his name to what other cause can you ascribe what in my mind is still more astonishing in such a country as scotland a nation cast in the happy medium between the spiritless acquiescence of submissive poverty and the sturdy credulity of pampered wealth cool and ardent adventurous and persevering winging her eagle flight against the blaze of every science with an eye that never winks and a wing that never tires crowned as she is 
with the spoils of every art and decked with the wreath of every muse from the deep and scrutinizing researches of her hume to the sweet and simple but not less sublime and pathetic morality of her burns how from the bosom of a country like that genius and character and talents muir marigot etc should be banished to a distant and barbarous soil condemned to behind under the horrid communion of vulgar vice and base-born profligacy twice the period that ordinary calculation gives to the continuance of human life but i will not further press any idea that is painful to me and i am sure must be painful to you i will only say you have now an example of which neither england nor scotland had the advantage you have the example of the panic the infatuation and the contrition of both it is now for you to decide whether you will profit by their experience of idle panic and idle regret or whether you meanly prefer to palliate a servile imitation of their frailty by a paltry affectation of their repentance it is now for you to show that you are not carried away by the same hectic delusions to acts of which no tears can wash away the fatal consequences or the indelible reproach he thus speaks of the volunteers of ireland gentlemen mr attorney-general has thought proper to direct your attention to the state and circumstances of public affairs at the time of this transaction let me also make a few retrospective observations on a period at which he has but slightly glanced you know gentlemen that france has espoused the cause of america and we became thereby involved in a war with that nation heu nescia mens hominum futuri little did that ill-fated monarch know that he was forming the first cause of those disastrous events that were to end in the subversion of his throne in the slaughter of his family and the deluging of his country with the blood of his people you cannot but remember that a time when we had scarcely a regular soldier for our defence when the old and young were alarmed and terrified with apprehensions of a descent upon our coasts that providence seemed to have worked a sort of miracle in our favour you saw a band of armed men at the great call of nature of honour and their country you saw men of the greatest wealth and rank you saw every class of the community give up its members and send them armed into the field to protect the public and private tranquillity of ireland it is impossible for any man to turn back to that period without reviving those sentiments of tenderness and gratitude which then beat in the public bosom to recollect amidst what applause what tears what prayers what benedictions they walked forth amongst spectators agitated by the mingled sensations of terror and of reliance of danger and of protection imploring the blessings of heaven upon their heads 
and its conquest upon their swords that illustrious and adored and abused body of men stood forward and assumed the title which i trust the ingratitude of their country will never blot from its history the volunteers of ireland he thus speaks of the national representation of the people gentlemen the representation of our people is the vital principle of their political existence without it they are dead or they live only to servitude without it there are two estates acting upon and against the third instead of acting in cooperation with it without it if the people are oppressed by their judges where is the tribunal to which the offender shall be amenable without it if they are trampled upon and plundered by a minister where is the tribunal to which the offender shall be amenable without it where is the ear to hear or the heart to feel or the hand to redress their sufferings shall they be found let me ask you in the accursed bands of imps and minions that bask in their disgrace and fatten upon their spoils and flourish upon their ruin but let me not put this to you as a merely speculative question it is a plain question of fact rely on it physical man is everywhere the same it is only the various operation of moral causes that gives variety to the social or individual character or condition how otherwise happens it that modern slavery looks quietly at the despot on the very spot where leonides expired the answer is sparta has not changed her climate but she has lost that government which her liberty could not survive end of section 3 recording by james carson